Hi everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 140 for Wednesday, December the 18th, 2013. Uh, we're a couple of days behind schedule, uh, at least on, on our of our promised December podcasting date. But that's okay, it's because you got sick. Jason, are you feeling better now? Uh, slightly, slightly better. I still, uh, I'm still coughing and sputtering and making all kinds of throat clearing noises on a regular basis. So uh, everybody will have to bear with me. But I'm, uh, I think I'm better than I was on Monday. Perfect for radio. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like you just have an upset stomach or you know your foot hurts or something like that. You're gonna like cough all over the mic. Yeah, well, I'm gonna try not to cough directly into the mic. Uh, we'll but, see. Uh, I may make some noises. We'll as, see how it goes. Yeah. There was an enormous outpouring of support for you on Facebook, by the way. I saw that. Thank you very much, everyone. For uh, I think that did help me get better. That's good. Uh, the love and support of, of mystery people on the internet will help anybody get better. Yeah, I, I do read the Facebook every uh, every once in a while. <laughs> That's good. And they're not mystery people. They're listeners. They're the most special people in the world. They are. Well, Jason, we've got a bunch of listener predictions to do we've kind of got a big mishmash of predictions and feedback just because there i thought lots of it was awesome so why not throw it all in there mm -hmm. we also have the walking dead news to get caught up on and there's at least one huge story coming out this uh, week exciting I, if anyone you know has been following along with um the internet they probably know what i'm talking about but we'll get to that later um and before that though i need to let you know that monday being in, it is Wednesday today, but Monday was National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. Wow. So, you know, from the internet today, we get to enjoy our beloved chocolate by covering something, just about anything, in a generous amount of chocolate. Pour, spread, or drizzle chocolate over cakes, cupcakes, pies, pancakes, or waffles, nuts, raisins, even ants. Yes, some people actually eat chocolate-covered ants. We will let you decide what is too extreme and how much is too much. If any, I ate uh, chocolates. Some chocolates that I made on the uh, on the weekend. On on Monday, I ate them. So I, maybe I celebrated in my own little way. You made your own chocolate? Well, yeah. You can get these uh, at uh, Michaels, which is our our local um, thrift. Not thrift. What do you call that stuff? A crafting Craft. store. Yeah. Uh, you can get uh, these candies that you melt in the microwave, and then you squeeze them into molds, and then they harden, and you have uh, your custom made candies. So I made. Uh, chocolate and peanut butter candies over the weekend, like uh, Reese's Pieces kind of thing. Well, that's what made you feel better. Yeah. That's that's the real reason you, you're getting better. You made your own chocolate candy. I made them on the weekend, and I polished them off uh, on Monday. Good for you, man. Well, that was, that was Monday. I wanted to stick with that because that was the original observance that I chose for this week. So National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. You're a couple of days behind, but anyone who likes chocolate, I'm sure, will celebrate that day anytime they want. Mm-hmm. Okay, I do have a listener email of the week this week to get started before we get into predictions, and this comes from Angie in Birmingham, UK. Now, her email was kind of long, but I pulled out this bit, which is still kind of long, so uh, let's just go with it. <clears throat> she says, while I understand Chris's frustration that the first seven episodes may have seemed like a rehash of season three, Gimple really had no choice. Season three governor ended with no people and no camp 
after a piss-poor attack on the prison. To go forward with that character, Gimple needed to do something drastic. Of course, he could have ignored him, let him disappear into the ether, but then fans would no doubt complain that the storyline was never resolved. The governor needed resolution, and the prison gang need to leave the prison. These two things go hand-in-hand in the comic, so it is only logical that Gimple has it play out this way on TV. But he can't just have a guy who massacred his entire army suddenly turn up with a new group of people ready to take over. He needed to explain how and why, and this is where I can see how it gets a little messy. As Mazara left Season 3, there was nowhere for this show to go. There was no danger for the prison crew, no need for them to move on. We could have had another 10 years of the prison gang happily minding their own business behind prison walls after that ending. Gimple has fixed the mess of the governor's character. Well, good. So this is in response to me saying that, uh, you know, I don't think anything really happened in the first uh, six uh, or eight episodes of the season, and that I wasn't really all that thrilled with the two governor episodes. And, you know, I essentially agree with everything that Angie is saying here in hindsight. When I think back of how uh, Scott Gimple left the show and what he did, he did lots of good things. I can't take that away from him, but I think he botched the ending of season uh, three. Yeah. And Angie points out that Gimple needed to come in and do something to fix it. And I guess what they came up with was have some time go by, have people get sick in the prison so they're not just standing around, you know, having a good time the whole time, and then redo the governor's story in a compressed, quicker sort of format. Right. Well, I guess they only had, uh, Scott Gimple only had a couple of choices. One was to bring back the governor in order to drive them out of the prison, or two, have some other thing drive them out of the prison. Uh, one being a herd, which they did at Herschel's farm, so they don't really need to do that again. Another being another antagonist of some sort. In order to do that, they'd have to spin up another antagonist, get that whole ball rolling, and that could have taken more than the uh, the eight episodes <clears throat> Excuse me, that they had. So uh, the best way, and that would have never resolved the governor's storyline. So I, th- I think uh, I think she's right that, uh, that that doing it this way was probably the best option. Yeah, and I think my disappointment comes down to really it's just too bad that Gimple had to do this, right? It's just kind of a bummer that he had to come in in this situation and spend seven or eight episodes you know, fixing the show. Right. And I still don't think the show is perfect <laughs> by any means. And it can, you know, come in, it can be uh, varying degrees of quality inside one episode. But I think maybe I was just a little bit disappointed overall that he had to come in and do this. And this is where things were left. Right. So anyways, from here on in, it's open season. It's unknown territory uh, to a certain degree anyways. And uh, now maybe Gimple will really have the chance to shine and do things the way he wants to do things and not have to worry about cleaning up someone else's mess. Right. So mess cleaned up. Let's move forward. Move forward. All right. We will be right back with listener predictions slash feedback. We watch the children play Beside the Christmas tree Presents are wrapped up, it's beautiful And secretly, a gift still has 
All right, it's time to do our listener predictions. We put the call out on our last podcast to send in your predictions. We got lots, and I've been collecting them for the past couple of weeks and just sort of sticking them into the notes here for the show. So this is going to be a little bit all over the place, but I think it'll be fun. And I want to start with uh, not a listener. Well, maybe he's a listener. I don't know. <laughs> it could be. It could be. He, he is aware of the show because I told him about it when I met him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you never know. Uh, but this comes from Andrew Lincoln, the man who plays Rick Grimes. And it's a quote he had about the second half of season four. So this is kind of a prediction. Right. More of a tease, though. Hit he me. said, he said, it's one of the most exciting and diverse and bold and brave seasons we've done since the first. Nice. So that's a lot of information right there, Jason. Yep. It is. <laughs> he is a lot of uh, a lot of action words, and they're all put together with ands. There's a lot of ands. That's a popcorn word, according to my kindergarten uh, child. Popcorn and, word. Yeah, I don't know. I learned that the other day. They call them like is, and, in, on popcorn words for some so reason. They add flavor, but no nutrition. <laughs> it's like that. Could it's, be it, but it's that's like the first parsley. Ones they it's uh, you know, it's 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 a visual thing, but it doesn't add any taste, add any flavor to the dish. Do you eat parsley if it's on your plate? No, because I did as a kid. I don't eat popcorn either because I don't consider them food. But popcorn tastes so good. No, it doesn't. Popcorn doesn't really taste like anything. The uh, the salt and butter and stuff you put on it tastes awesome. It's a delivery well, mechanism. That does taste good though, salt it, and it, butter. And as far as I know, you can't really digest popcorn, so I don't eat it because it's not food. I think you're wrong about that. I'm pretty sure you can digest popcorn. All right. Maybe I don't. Yeah, maybe. All my cats love popcorn. <laughs> Just love it. Love, love, love it. All righty. Well, what about Paul from the internet? Does he love popcorn? Uh, I don't know. Let's uh, let's find out and see what he has to say. All right. Is it me or you? It's you. Oh, all right. Paul from the internet. He says, I have a prediction for what the cold open for the next episode may be. We'll follow Carol from the point Rick sent her away see a few scenes of her trying to survive on her own and then getting emotional and deciding to go and face her fate at the prison. She arrives through the trees and finds the fences torn down, walkers all over the fields, and a burning tank in the yard. Roll opening titles. Right, so she's in the right place at the wrong time. She sure is. Now, I had a thought here after reading Paul's prediction. It's, it's a well-known, confirmed fact that Carol is going to come back in the second half of this season. We will see her again. Right. And, and we don't have to wait to, until season five or something like that. Right. So, but, but the thing is, it would be nice to find out a little bit about what she's been doing sh since she was banished. And that's kind of what they, you know, did with the governor. We had to have two full episodes to find out what he was doing and to bring him back to a certain point. Now, it's not the same with Carol, but what if the cold open for... Every episode in the second half of season four was about Carol. So we had like two or three minutes of Carol stuff at the beginning of every episode, and it was slowly hinting or slowly showing us what she's been doing and hinting at ways that she's going to somehow be incorporated or come back into the group. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that, but it's, Neither it's do a nifty I. idea. I think it's a great idea. Well, you, you know, would, but I, I think it's a neat idea, not as, not as great as you think it is, but... <laughs> Uh, I don't think they're going to do it. 
Well, I don't know. I think it would be fun. It would be like a Breaking Bad style thing where you get cold opens that you don't know what's going on or it's a glimpse way in the future or something like that. Right. Let's see Carol's story told in like six or seven three-minute mini episodes that then tie all back in together at the end. I think that would be great. Why don't they just do a split screen? And uh, have her story going on in one section of this of the screen, and the uh, the rest of the people. Actually, you could do like six different screens since everybody's split up at this point. You could have everybody's action taking, uh, you know, happening at the same time, but just different. Uh, the audio would flip to different uh, to, to the different storylines. A little difficult to follow, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my idea. Okay. <laughs> Carol in the cold open. So if she's in the first cold open, I hope she's in all of them. Uh, yeah, I think that, that'd be nifty. All right, good. All right, so the next six are all about Tyrese, Judith, and Lizzie. The first one is Sean from the USA. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Tyrese got bit by a zombie, causing him to gush blood all over the place. He finds Judith, Judith and gets blood all over her car seat when he's getting her out. He then turns away and eventually finds Tara and Lily. He finds them, he begins to die from his walker bite, and then gives them the baby as he's dying. <laughs> so... Uh, I think if Tyrese would have gotten bit by a zombie, we probably would have would have seen that. I don't know. Could be a, you know, they might be saving it for dramatic effect. I, I guess. I mean, if we're gonna see the whole grabbing the baby and running scene and so on again from a different perspective, you know, maybe. Right. But this also means Tyrese is gonna die, and I'm not so sure that's gonna happen. Oh well. <laughs> All right. This next one is a call. Comes from Larry in Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, this is Larry from Fort Worth, Texas. I was just wondering if you guys have thought of a future storyline, something that goes like this. It appears that everyone from the prison scatters away in different directions. The last we see of Tyrese was with Lily and the other kids. So what if, at some point, Tyrese and his little group come across Carol? If you remember, Rick and Dale never got the chance to reveal what Carol did. I just think that that would be an interesting twist. What do you guys think? Well, I think if Tyrese does, in fact, have the baby... Um, I think there's a good chance that Carol will meet up with Tyrese because we know there's tension there, right? Yep. Um, even though they don't really know there's, well, Tyrese doesn't know there's tension there. As far as we know right now, Carol killed Karen and David, and that doesn't make Tyrese happy. So if anyone's going to come together and rebond over something else, it's probably those two. That's true. Yeah. All right. So now we have a call from Laura in Pittsburgh. After listening to the listener feedback episode of Too Far Gone, I too have been swayed into believing that Judith is in fact alive. The blood in the car seat could be her own, given the flying debris around. It's possible she was injured, and with the prison group being dispersed, and Tyrese with the children, none of whom would know how to treat an injury, it only seems right to have them run into Carol. I imagine Carol saving Judith's life, leaving Rick indebted to her once he finds out, and after Carol focuses on saving Judith and succeeding, she may assume Rick already told Tyrese why she was banished. While apologizing to Tyrese, he realizes what she's admitting and loses it. At this point, I see Lizzie stepping in, shouting out that Carol didn't kill Karen and David, but Lizzie in fact did, and Carol was only helping her after realizing what she had done. Tyrese would then have no choice but to relinquish his anger as Lizzie saved Tyrese earlier by shooting Alicia. Besides, given Lizzie's marksmanship, I wouldn't want to cross her either. My second theory is the emergence of Carl's dark side, 
brought on by his perceived belief that Judith is dead. I can see Carl becoming reckless, disconnected from Rick, and unwilling to listen to someone like Michonne or Daryl trying to get through to him. Amidst Carl's downward spiral, I can see him killing a human who he believes to be a threat, even though they aren't, and a companion witnessing their friend's death at Carl's hand, but managing to escape. I can almost hear Michonne tell Rick that Carl may be too far gone, and he seems to be until they stumble upon Carol, Tyrese, the children, and of course Judith. Carol is welcomed back into the group, Carl snaps out of it, and the prison gang begins to find each other and reassemble to find new sanctuary. It seems hopeful, but I believe right when it does, Carl's killing of an innocent person will come back to haunt the group in the form of a new and more formidable enemy than even the governor. So how about that? That's uh, first of all, Laura. Um, Laura put the whole tension between, you know, Carol coming back together with Tyrese far better than I did, and explained it very well. Mm-hmm. And then Carl's descent into madness, so to speak, over the loss of his sister, which could lead to some pretty interesting stuff. Until it's revealed that his sister is still alive, which brings him right back up to the surface. That's true. I really like it. That was excellent, and the call quality was awesome. Did she just uh, did she email that in as an MP3 or something? She did. Yes, she did not use the crappy phone line. She <laughs> she recorded it maybe on her phone or something and sent it in to us. So uh, it was excellent. Much much better. Yeah. Uh, who's next? That's, uh, we have Hilario. All right. Now there are some comic spoilers in here, everyone. So uh, please please be careful. But he has a few theories on Judith. Hey guys, Hilario here from Brooklyn, New York. Um, Just doing my prediction for the mid-season show. Uh, This can go either way. Either Judith is alive, in which case we see an opening scene of Michonne scouting around the camp looking for survivors, comes across the decapitated head of Herschel, puts it out of its misery, because that's what happens in the comic, and then comes across Tyrese, Lizzie, and Judith. Uh, Awesome episode ending, seeing Michonne standing there with the baby strapped to her front, sword strapped to the back, uh, either that or Judith is dead, in which case you see it picking up where the last episode ended, which is Tyrese and Lizzie running to the car seat, finding baby Judith dead in the car seat, probably shot by a stray bullet, which also ties into what the comic book did. Not wanting to leave her there to be zombie food, unbuckles and takes her body with them. Unfortunately, they did do an announcement before the season started that there were going to be baby zombies. So I'm kind of leaning towards the fact that the baby is dead, in which case they're going to find that when she changes over, you're going to be stuck with a baby zombie now. And he's not going to have the balls to actually put her out of her misery. So Creepy Lizzie is probably going to try to raise her as his own. That's my predictions for either way. Uh, Enjoy the show, guys. Keep up the good work. And hopefully this gets on the air. Talk to you guys later. Bye. I hope it gets on the air, too. Yeah, you never know. It might. We'll see later. Um, Thank you, though, Hilario. The thing I like about this prediction is that it's very, you know, in-depth, a couple of options there, and everything is very plausible right until the end where we have a young girl raising a zombie baby. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've got Lizzie taking care of zombie Judith. And speaking to that, though, I think what he's referring to about them saying that there will be zombie babies on the show is a quote that Michonne or uh, Denai Guerrera had in an inter- interview early on in the episode, or sorry, in the uh, season or before the season started, that she hinted that there might be zombie 
babies. She didn't come straight out and say there will be zombie babies because they never do. Um, and I think in my, you know, going back and reading that, I think what she was referring to is just the first episode. And she was talking about uh, creepy Clara who had her husband's head in the bag. Right. But there was some, you know, discussion out there that maybe she had a baby in that bag. And we never really saw it, so it could go either way. Right. Um, so who knows? I mean, maybe maybe there will be zombie babies. Maybe it will be Judith. Maybe it'll be somebody else. Either way, we'll find out, I hope. Uh, not I, I can get on board with, uh, with Lizzie raising zombie babies, cause, uh, or a zombie baby, just singular, because uh, she was feeding those zombies through the fence, or wanted to, right? Thinking that mm-hmm. they're, uh, they're people. I could totally get on board with that. I don't think they're going to do it, but I think that it's well within her character to want to uh, take care of a zombie baby. Well, one more thing, though. We don't know for sure, 100%, that it was her feeding those zombies. No, we don't, but that all kind of ties in. It does. If it was her, now she has a zombie baby to take care of. She can... I mean, does a zombie baby... Well, uh, there's too many questions here. Do they, what kind of food do they eat? They well, don't have teeth. Yeah. Although yeah. Judith looked old enough to have some teeth. One or two. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she has to pre-chew dead rats and uh, <laughs> give them to the baby. <laughs> yeah. Like mama, a bird, like a mama bird. I was just going to say, mother bird style. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. So we have, a, we have an email from Mike in Los Angeles. Uh, could Bob Stuckey have saved Judith from the car seat trap of death? Uh, he was last seen clutching a gunshot wound to his leg, not too far from her. Uh, his blood-covered hands could have stained the seat and his limping could have created the blood streak leading away. So it's the first um, theory I've heard in which Bob Stuckey saved the baby. Yeah. And the only thing that most people can't really explain is all the blood in the car seat. Um, Now, we've had people write in and say, there's blood everywhere. People are getting shot. There's zombies walking around. It's a bloody place. So Mm -hmm. it's not too far outside the realm of possibility that blood could have splashed or just poured into that car seat at somehow after Judith was released, or frankly, even before she was uh, taken out of it, if she might have been covered in blood, who knows? Yeah, could be. Um, But to think that maybe whoever picked her up, assuming someone did, um, was just covered in blood to begin with, maybe there was enough just, you know, dripping her out to to stain that seat. Maybe he was, uh, you know, when when you're trying to pick a baby up out of a, a car seat that's sitting on the ground in a hurry and there's zombies coming in from behind you, the first thing you want to do is jump over that. Like after you get the baby, the first thing you want to do is jump over the car seat and move in that direction. Maybe because of his leg, he tripped over the car seat and got his leg, like blood from his leg directly into the car seat from there as he was tripping over it. And then when he ran away, the car seat righted itself. Yeah, possibly. I mean... There's all there's blood all over the place, yeah. and so he could have fallen into it. He could have just had it all over his hands, his arms. He could have tripped. The car seat could be, you know, coming to life, and it righted itself. All kinds of things could have happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry? I said it's true. It is true. Next one is a call from Jeff in Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, guys. This is Jeff from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm calling to expand on the theory that Tyrese has Judith. All of the evidence seems to support this claim. However, the blood seems to be a mystery. My wife and I have been discussing the possibility that Judith was bit. With a severe enough bite, we could have an explanation for the blood. To expand on this theory, we also think that Judith may be immune to the virus. She is the only known character conceived after the outbreak. And perhaps this alone is enough 
for her to not suffer the same fate as others. Anyway, I would love to know your thoughts on this, as I believe it could add a whole new layer to the show. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Jeff. Jason, what do you think about an immune character? I think that's fantastic. And the fact that it's Judith is okay? Well, yeah, that makes it... Well, I mean, it's a it's a zombie virus. You know, uh, you know reality goes out the window. But uh, I think that uh, that could be awesome, that she's immune to the, to the virus. She's going to have it already, because everybody does. And I assume that uh, the virus is you know, transmittable from mother to child in the womb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe she, maybe because of that, uh, that Judith is immune to it. You know, the more I consider this idea, the more I like it too. Uh, it does add an element. It adds an element to the walking dead that has never been there before in any form that I know of. Yep. Comic, novel, TV show, video game, whatever. Now for that reason, I kind of don't think that they'll go there. I don't think Kirkman wants to go there. He's always said he doesn't, he no longer cares or never really cared about how it all started and where it came from. That said, I don't think he's ever said he doesn't care about a cure for it or information or, or developing information about the virus or the infection itself. Right. He's, he's said that, but then we've got, uh, we've got Jenner at the CDC in season one, uh, starting to explain what's happening. Yeah, explaining how the brain is coming back to life at the brain stem and stuff like that. So yeah. we've already got a little bit more of that stuff than we ever had before. So maybe they could go there. I mean, that that makes Judith an incredibly important character in this TV show. Right. Hopefully she's not dead. <laughs> and hopefully she's not dead, yeah. it. I've always sort of thought that Judith was a burden. I think I've said this before, a bit of a burden on these characters and a little bit on the storytelling because you're always carting a baby around. And you just can't be quite as realistic, I don't think, with that baby around and keeping it alive for so long. Not only because there's zombies around, but finding food for a baby is difficult Yeah, in the zombie apocalypse. But if the baby is suddenly that important to the universe in that she's the only known living human being that is immune or doesn't turn into a zombie when she dies, that's huge. I th- well, to be clear, I think that uh, she's immune from having a bite kill her. I think that if she dies, she's still going to become a zombie. No, I think I don't think so, because I think it's that may, she may or may not have this virus, but I don't think it will activate her brain when when she dies. No. I, that's that's what I took away anyways. Okay. And because that seems a little bit more um, substantial, you know? Right. Uh, but I guess not be dying when you get bitten is, is good too, because then it's not quite as urgent that you stay away from the zombies. <laughs> right, that's true. And, you know, if she's if that's the case, when she's all grown up, everyone will be like, uh, you go take care of that zombie. We'll stay over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. So we have uh, an email from Rick on the internet, and this one is spoilery for the comic. Uh, in yes. the comic series, uh, one of the twins, Ben, starts exhibiting a psychopathic behavior and ends up killing his brother, Billy. I'm curious as to whether or not they're setting up a similar storyline with Lizzie and her sister, seeing as though Lizzie may be uh, the one beginning to show some psychopathic behavior. I'll go right ahead with the next one right now. Sally from Wisconsin says, I really do believe Lizzie is a budding psychopath and probably was the one that killed Karen and David. I have read the comics, 
and think Lizzie is the parallel to the boy in there. I'm afraid that little Mika might not be long for this world, and I would really like it if they kept this storyline in the show, even having Carl be the one that kills her. So, Jason, a lot of people have wrote in about this, even over the last few weeks before the the season ended for the break, and I've hesitated putting it on the podcast because it is really spoilery for the comic. And I didn't want to sort of introduce this idea for the TV show until we were done the first half and had a better idea or as much of an idea as we were going to get about where things were going. So that's why I've left it out until now, but I thought now was the time. Right. So if you remember in the comics, Ben and Billy are a couple of twin boys and they're young and Ben kills his brother Billy because he says he'll come back anyway. Right. He doesn't understand how it works. Or he doesn't understand the implications of that. And Lizzie said almost the same thing to Carol before Carol was banished. She said that, you know, they people come back anyways. And Lizzie has a little sister. And most people seem to think that this is where they are going with this, that Lizzie will end up killing her sister. And the end result in the comic was that none of the adults knew what to do. They decided, or they realized that they had a kid here who was, who was a psychopath who didn't understand um, you know, the, the consequences of, of killing someone and the adults didn't know how to handle it. So Carl snuck out in the night and killed Ben and put an end to it all. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that think that that's exactly what's going to happen. I think that this is a parallel to that storyline. And I think that's why these characters were introduced in the first place. Yeah. I think I'm with you. Um, I don't have any information other than what we've seen and what everyone's seen, but this seems to me to be the most logical place that they're taking it, taking this. And it is too bad because cute little Mika is going to get shot and killed. But, of course, Lizzie gets her uh, just desserts too. So Yeah. And it's dramatic. It's very dramatic. So I think that's uh, – I, I really do think that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, this show has a thing about killing little girls, I'll tell you. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> you know, we haven't seen a lot of uh, a lot of boys get killed, a lot of men and women, but uh, – I don't know. I does um, did Patrick count as as a boy? He seemed a little older, anyways. Uh, yeah, he seemed a little older. So, I think we're going to get more little girl death. <laughs> Probably just just saying it now. Yeah. All right. So we have an email from Dave in the UK. I was listening to episode one twenty two when you were discussing the uh, companion series and what you wanted to see in it. Uh, to keep it different, I would like to see the zombie apocalypse from the perspective of the government, president, and army how they dealt with and are dealing with the mayhem and the chaos. I think this would be refreshing a refreshing change from just having another marauding group of survivors. Yeah, so this takes this jumps away from our main show a little bit and gives us a, a thought on the um on the uh, companion series. I don't know, Jason, I don't know if I want to see government necessarily, but I I'm totally with Dave in that I I don't know if just seeing another group of survivors surviving in a similar but different way is is going to cut it. I agree with Dave. I, this is exactly what I want to see, and this is uh, put much more eloquently than I did, and I think in that episode where I wanted to see a different scope, uh, not just another you know marauding band of uh, survivors going around and not having a bigger picture, but have a like um, World War Z, which was a larger scope. It was the government uh, trying to solve this problem, whisking this guy around the world to try and solve this this issue and seeing things from a larger scale, not just from the uh, an individual small group of survivors. This is exactly what I want to see. 
But do you think that there's still government operation going on this deep into the apocalypse, or will the show take place in the first weeks or months and then crumble to nothing? Well, what happens if uh, it starts off as the uh, as the government and how it's dealing with it, and then ends up being the president and the first lady uh, being a marauding band of survivors? <laughs> I, I suppose. I mean, that's that's not terrible as an idea. I don't think the zombie West Wing. This is what I want. Zombie West Wing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I could get on board with that. I've never seen the West Wing, but we start with some level of organization trying to deal with it. It all goes to crap. And we end up with these high-powered people having lost all of their power and ability to run the country. And now they're suddenly, you know, pantless walking around the, the jungle with zombies all around them. Exactly. So I'm going to pump the brakes here for a second. You've never seen the West Wing? No, I haven't watched the West Wing. It's like one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah, I know that. And how come I didn't know you haven't? You haven't. No, I I just don't understand. I haven't seen a lot of TV shows, just like you and everybody else out there hasn't seen a lot of TV shows. And The West Wing is far too daunting to start now. There's like eight seasons or something, right? I just rewatched the whole thing like in the last couple of months. Yeah, but you work at home half the time. Yeah. So you're always in front of your TV. <laughs> yeah. Go watch The West Wing. I was it used to when it was on the air, I used to get so excited that the episode was on that I couldn't pay attention and enjoy the actual episode. I had to watch it twice because I was too excited the first time. Jason's boss, if you're listening, he watches TV while he works. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the time. And it's in the background. It's in, if you uh, if you I can't watch shows that I'm interested in in paying attention. I right. have to put on shows that I've seen before so that I could lose half an hour and not care. Because I'm concentrating on working. Got it. Okay. It's well, like something you the music in the background. Sure. You don't really listen. It just kind of goes into your ear holes. Exactly. Okay. Well, our next email comes from Amanda on the internet. She sent in a bunch, but here are a couple. She says, Carol is with the Those Who Arrive Survive group from the radio, and this group might possibly be the cause of the campsite slaughter. What campsite slaughter is she talking about? Uh, the in the governor episode when they the mysterious mysterious uh, time lapse oh. where the the campsite was all slaughtered randomly while they were standing fourteen feet away. Got it. That one. So the the uh, arrive survive group is responsible for that. Good. Amanda says also I think the bus is going to run into a herd and as much as I hate to say it I think Glenn is dead in the near future. He's the only main character on the bus. They're not going to kill Glenn. No, I don't think so. But you know what? If we do death predictions for the next half of this season, I think there's at least a percentage chance that Glenn or Maggie will die. Not both. There's no chance that both of them will die, but one of one or the other possibly. I don't know. If they were going to kill Glenn, I would have liked to have seen him die during the uh during the sickness. Yeah, but maybe that's the that's the red herring. Like you think he's okay, he survived that, and then he just gets killed by something else later on. Right. You know, I don't know. I really don't think they're going to kill Glenn. I really don't think they're going to kill Maggie. Not for a long time. Uh, yeah, it'd be it's sad. Ju- it's just kind of weird though that Glenn is all by himself on that bus with a bunch of Woodbury red shirts. You know, they those people have have to die probably. Oh yeah. You know, but Glenn. He's he's still weak from being sick. He'll be the last man standing out of all those people. I don't know. It's It seems like they're going to have to bring him back to... They're going to have to get some of these characters back together relatively quickly. And I think Glenn and that bus is the first one. It, whether they get attacked by a herd or something else happens, maybe he steals away into the night while everyone else is getting eaten and somehow meets up with 
Maggie and uh, or Tyrese or something like that. I don't know. It just seems like why put him on the bus all by himself with all those people who are going to die? Right. We'll see. I don't know. So we have an email from Charles in Los Angeles. Now we selected a few from a longer list. A few predictions. The new characters, Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene, are at Herschel's farm with Carol. We know that episode 10 introduces these characters. I believe that one of the fractured groups, either Daryl and Beth or Glenn and the Woodburyans, end up there and come across this new group of people. Since Carol is no, uh, has had nowhere to go, she decided to head back to the farm and is now part of this group. And number two, we are introduced to the Sanctuary. By the end of the season, we will see the sanctuary. Maybe it'll be introduced at the end of the finale, much like the prison was introduced at the end of the season two finale. Uh, okay, and number three, we lose another main cast character. Uh, this is a given, just not sure who. My guess will be Beth or Sasha. So we go back to the farm. Um, I think that makes some sense. If I'm not mistaken, that's what happened in the comic after the prison fell. Right. Um... And, uh, yeah, losing a main, main cast member for sure, uh, Beth or Sasha, those are both good choices. But to be honest, I felt like Beth is going to die for a while now. Yeah. And well, Herschel uh, lasted a full two seasons after I thought he was going to die. Right. And I've kind of been thinking Beth is, you know, a goner almost as long. So maybe her time is almost up. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I don't think they're going to go back to the farm. No way. Eh? Uh, no, because, uh, you know, going back to a previous location, uh, you know, production-wise, I'm not sure is the best thing. Because uh, they'd have to reconstruct that burned-out barn on the property, and it just seems like a daunting kind of task. Uh, I think that uh, it'll take place in a different location. You're probably right. If anyone does go back to the farm, they might try to realize that it's it's still just overrun with zombies, and, and they'll have to move on. So they don't stay there, right? They may talk about going and even try to go, but I don't think anyone's going to land there for a long period. Right. And what, what happens if the owners of the uh, of the property, after right after they finished filming there, that they, they took the cash that they uh, they earned from, from using it as a film location and built a whole new addition onto the house? Then how do you explain that? Yeah, well, you CGI it out. <laughs> yeah, or you say, oh, somebody built an addition on here. They must be living here, and you introduced all these people, and... They built a nice, you know, perfectly constructed addition instead of a ramshack, uh, ramshackle. What's that? What's the word I'm looking for? I, I, ramshackle works. Or, it's a, that's uh, an actual word. I didn't make that up. Ramshackle. No, I think that I think that's a word. A hyphenated <laughs> word. Uh, instead of like just this hodgepodge thing put together, it's an actual, you know, properly constructed thing with shingles and electricity and everything. Right. Right. Well, okay. I take point taken. I I'd be surprised if they went back to the farm. Although I wouldn't be surprised if it was mentioned and then there was some reason they couldn't. Right. Because it does seem logical that maybe you'd try to, but you're right. In the terms of production and stuff like that, they probably won't. Yeah. Jeff from the internet writes in, Sasha and Bob Stuckey will get together romantically and Bob's problems with booze causes some tension with Tyrese. Mm. <laughs> I could kind of see that. Yep. Um, Sasha and Bob had that scene in the in the last episode there, you know, where she was trying to uh, thank him and he wouldn't take it. Yeah. So there you go. He, Jeff continues, Maggie or Glenn will die early in season 4B. If it is Maggie that goes, Glenn will carry that pick he took earlier on in the season with him everywhere. Oh. I, I don't know. We already sort of addressed that. He yep. goes on, Rick and Carl meet up with Lily, who helps Rick get better. Rick and Lily fall in love, but wait. 
Lily's already pregnant with the governor's baby. Oh, no. So it's not good enough that Rick had to take care of Judith or little Shane, as Daryl put it, but now he has to take care of little governor. The little gov. <laughs> the little gov, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's insane. That's crazy. But, you know, it, it would, it's not too far-fetched to think that Lily would uh, find Rick and Carl and help Rick get better. Falling in love and, you know, raising little governor may be a stretch, but... Could happen. It could happen. I you mean, know, that's Rick, what uh, that's what Rick's doing with Shane's baby. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> so he, maybe he loses little Shane and he gains little Governor. Yeah, it could be. You know, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we have a we have a call from Adam uh, F O T S. What's that? F- friend of the show. Adam. Friend of the show. Adam. I was going to say flounder of the sea. Uh, <laughs> so friend of the show. Adam has a call on what Bob's been up to. Here we go. Hey guys, this is friend of the show Adam. Wanted to touch base with you and share my theory on who the Rat Man is. Uh, I think after this last episode, it's pretty evident that it is Bob Stuckey. Uh, first and foremost, this evidence shows us with the flayed rabbit that whoever's doing this is doing it with medical precision, medical skills, obviously medical training. Uh, also the hint of him hiding something in the box, which uh, since we've already seen the bottle of booze, I think if he were hiding the bottle of booze, they would have just shown the bottle of booze or the bag he kept it in or, or, or something like that. A box seems more like something he would keep, uh, you know, medical instruments or a carcass of some sort in. So I, I'm going to say that it's probably Bob based on that alone. The other hints that the show has given us early on uh, this season that it might be Bob is just the comment that he made about every group he's been a part of has fallen apart for one reason or another. Makes me stop and wonder, has he been sabotaging these groups he's been a part of because he's crazy? Uh, The other thing to consider is whoever was feeding uh, the zombies through the fence, feeding the dead rats, the zombies through the fence they seemed to be about the same height as the zombie. Um, I think if it were Lizzie, the zombie, we'd probably see the zombie leaning down more or bending over to, to get the rat through the fence. They, they've hinted that it was Lizzie because she empathizes with the zombies, but I don't think she would feed them. I, I think she would feed them to feed them, not to sort of sabotage the group, because whoever was feeding those zombies let them bite the heads off and then drop the dead the carcasses on the other side of the fence specifically to attract the zombies so right now i'm going to say it's probably bob stuckey based on the evidence that they've given us but uh, anyway love the show and uh, look forward to hearing more thanks adam so um what do you what do you think jason bob why you know why would he is he purposefully sabotaging the group oh maybe he's just uh uh, maybe he's just crazy yeah it's kind of it's kind of what Adam said, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It's it's it's. I can see it. Like I, I don't think Lizzie was the one dissecting that rabbit. First of all, and I mean, I guess it's a good point about the zombie feeder being roughly the same height as the zombies, like a full grown adult, not a kid. Yeah. And you know, they've really, really hinted that it's Lizzie, you know, sympathizing with the zombies, but Bob. You know, we don't know much about the guy, and he has had problems with other groups, and he has problems with alcohol. I just don't see what his motivation would be for feeding the zombies. Well, he's a serial killer. <laughs> Is he? Well, a, uh, well, a budding one, anyway. If he's feeding the zombies and he's dissecting the rabbit, maybe the other groups he was in uh, broke up because he kept vivisecting the uh, the other group members. Well, not a guy you want to have around, then. No, definitely not. 
It's the problem is with Bob though, everything, you know, the, all the theories involving Bob are based on more speculation, I think, than evidence. And with Lizzie, there's more evidence than speculation. Now this could be a bait and switch, yeah. right? And I, I would not put that past anybody at all. Um, but it really feels like Lizzie, but it, but I guess it could be Bob. We'll have to wait and find out. Yeah. Alrighty, this next email is my turn, right? Yeah. This is Sarah from St. Louis. Sarah says, as for predictions for the rest of the season, I'm curious about the Daryl-Beth survival duo. They had a nice moment together after the Big Spot disaster, and Scott Gimple commented on the Talking Dead, that would be AMC's Talking Dead, about how that scene would come into play later in the season. Might there be a little romance between these two characters? Hmm. Sarah continues, in regards to the comments about Rick and the governor being similar, I think the literary term you were searching for is foil. Usually a foil is used to point out differences between characters, but it can also highlight similarities. So first of all, yeah, we, we couldn't think of a literary term to, that described two, um, two characters that kind of have a similar beginning with the opposite outcome. Right. And I think foil works. Foil, foil works. Is, isn't that the name of the, uh, the sword you use in fencing? It is. It's also something you put over your food before you put it in the fridge, maybe. Aluminum foil. Correct. Right. So it's a multi-purpose word, but I think in this case, it applies. They are each other's foil. Huh. As for her prediction, we may get a romance between Beth and Daryl, but it would be a little bit creepy considering he's probably around 40 and she's 19 or 18 on the show. Yeah, it'd be a little weird. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a difference, um, but what can you do? It's a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so we have an email from Paul on the internet. Uh, so we have Rick and Carl. His predictions about Rick and Carl. They flee the prison to a neighborhood and hole up in a house and take stock of what what has happened, allowing time for Rick to recover from his injuries and plan their next moves. For Daryl and Beth, they flee to the forest and take refuge there. Uh, his hunting skills keep them fed, means squirrels, as they plan their next course of action. The squirrels part was me. Sure. Uh, okay, so Tyrese and the girls, then baby Judith, uh, they meet up, meet up with Tara and Lily and form a small group. His desire to find his sister sees him leave the girls and baby with Tara and Lily. On Bob and Sasha, they are struggling to survive. His medical skills help her to recover until Tyrese arrives to rescue them once the zombies have them cornered. Bob dies so that Tyrese can escape with his sister and return to the group of women he left behind. Uh, the prison bus group, head to Herschel's farm. Glenn guides them there. Uh, eventually, we see the others meet up at Herschel's farm as per the comics, but some of them will have died getting there. Uh, that's where they'll meet uh, the season three newcomers. Right, and that would be... Uh, um, oh, nobody's name I can remember right now. <laughs> Abraham, oh, yeah. Eugene, and, Ro and Rosita. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That about covers everybody. Yeah. Um. This next one is from Troy from Facebook, and he says, Remember Denai told us a while back that we'd have a zombie baby in Season 4? What if we get a flashback to some of Michonne's background and find out that the zombie baby was her baby? Oh, uh, that's where the zombie baby's coming in. Yeah, I think that's a little bit more realistic, to be honest with you. There's obviously something there, because we saw her reaction when Judith was crying, and... They're not just going to leave that alone. I think they're going to slowly reveal more about Michonne's character. And obviously that is something in there. So maybe we will. Maybe her, her baby became a zombie and that's what set her on the ass-kicking, badass path that she's on. Right. So we have a flashback zombie baby. 
Exactly. Yeah. Flashback zombie. I'm okay with more flashbacks on this show, to be yeah, honest me too. with you. I think they were, will work okay. All right. So we have uh, uh, Alan from Facebook. A while ago, it was reported that the show would go to Savannah for season four. Uh, is it possible that instead of going along with the comics that they find Crawford uh, that is in the game? I think that would be awesome. So I don't want to give too much away about the first season of the Telltale game, but the characters do go to Savannah and come across a community called Crawford. And uh, I think that would be interesting. I didn't hear the news that the show would be filming or doing anything in Savannah. No, um, I, don't I don't know if I just missed that, but if it's true... Uh, you never know. That'd be they, fun. They take stuff from the books. Why not from the video games? Yeah. Okay, this email comes from Lori on the internet. She says, Do you think guilt will play any part in the upcoming episodes? Daryl was touted as a great tracker, yet there was Brian, practically living in the prison group's backyard. Daryl seems to consider Rick as a brother, so he should feel partly responsible for Brian's return, particularly as he prompted Rick to lead the group again and to speak for the group. Then we have Michonne, actively seeking vengeance on the governor, but unable to locate any information. Even if Michonne thought her group would uh, leave the prison eventually, she must feel regret that her people are scattered and vulnerable, and more than anything, for Rick nearly being killed, and for the possible loss of Judy. Michonne has shown affection towards Carl, uh, towards Judy, Carl, and somewhat towards Rick. So... It's more of an interesting point, I think, that, uh, you know, we had these characters out looking for somebody, couldn't find him, and gave up, and then he was ultimately their downfall. So there could be some guilt playing in here and, uh, you know, influencing the character's development or decisions in the future. Right. I think it's a good good, uh, sort of pickup by Laurie. So, you know, this kind of storytelling device that, you know, I didn't really think of before. Yeah, that's true. And no matter what you're looking for, it's always in the last place you look. Yeah, that's true. And unfortunately, they didn't have time to get to that last place before he showed up. Right. Because they weren't looking for a hobo on the highway. No, that's true. All right. So we have a call from Beth in Arkansas. Hey, this is Beth from Arkansas. Um, I just wanted to touch really quickly on uh, you guys talking about Daryl and uh, Daryl's reaction to uh, Carol being kicked out of the group. Um, I was okay with his reaction. Um, I do know there's a pretty big fan base of Daryl Carroll's shippers, and so they were expecting a pretty um, volatile reaction from Daryl, and uh, were pretty disappointed that that didn't really happen. Um, I myself am a Daryl Carroll shipper, but not very hardcore. I can kind of see it going that way, and we'll be okay with it going that way. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you guys about is probably going to be a little spoilery, so if you want to cut off my phone call and not play it or don't want to talk about it, that's cool. I'll go ahead and say bye in case you do that. So bye. And what I wanted to ask you was if you had heard any of the uh, rumors about Melissa McBride being the lead on the Walking Dead spinoff show, because I have heard that on other podcasts, and they said that it's 100% confirmed, and I have not been able to find any information on it. So I was just wondering what you thought about that, excuse me, how that would affect the show and a possible Daryl Carroll romance, and um, if you think any of the other characters may go to uh, the spinoff. Um, and, if, yeah, if you heard any information. So uh, thanks for taking my call. Bye. Uh, first of all, Jason, I'm not entirely in tune with all the what the kids are saying these days right 
But I believe a shipper is someone who is a relationshipper between those characters. Right. <laughs> so someone who wants Daryl and uh, Carol to be in a relationship. Right. And she, yeah, okay, so we, we've covered this before. She wasn't saying stripper, right? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the kids these days. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think that, I think we've talked about the, his reaction already to, to Rick telling him that he banished Carol. And it was, there was a lot going on and a lot about to go on. So if he was going to have a bigger reaction, maybe it was still to come. But I think his reaction was pretty spot on. Right. It didn't bother me that much. Um, and then regarding the um, the spinoff show, I think we may have mentioned this too already, that it was going to be a Carol-focused show. I'm believing that less and less. Well, now. that's because you want her in every cold open from now on. Oh, that's true. I do. But not only that, I, you know, it confirmed that she's coming back in this season. And just the way things have gone, I don't see it being about Carol. She's going to have to, if it, if it is, it's not going to be about her time between being banished and coming back. There's just, there's not a show there. There's no. a cold open there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's going to have to, it's going to mean that she's going to have to come back to the show and leave again and go off on her own. And then, then we follow her from there. And I'm not sure I can see that happening. I also think, I also think Kirkman said that this is going to be all new characters, all new locations. He could be making stuff up. But if, he, if we take him at his word, none of the characters from this show are going to show up on the spinoff. Yeah, he's fibbed before, so I'm not really <laughs> sure. Once or twice, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're kind of more into feedback now than um, uh, predictions, but we got another call, and this comes from someone who didn't leave their name, so it's anonymous from the internet. Hey guys, just catching up on the show. On uh, I want to comment on the, uh, episode 138. You're talking about rifle shooting. Uh, yeah, we clearly shot 300 yards with an M16 and uh, military uh, shot up to 700 yards with the M60. So with a lever action, if he's got a good stance and good control, that the shot to the governor shouldn't be a problem. Uh, enjoying the show, y'all. Keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you, anonymous. So uh, Carl totally could have made that shot. Good. That is good to know. All right, so we have uh, an email from Paul in Bakersfield. I think Rick versus the governor is a metaphor for civilized nature versus animal nature. Uh, while our children are the most important thing to us, we also have an allegiance to our culture and our duty to protect the children of other people. As we fulfill our duty to society, other members of our society fulfill their duty to us. This way, there are multiple people looking out for each other, and as a result, we are safer. Our uh, selflessness serves our best interests as a whole better than our selfishness would. Rick personifies this selflessness. He always, he's always trying to look out for the group as a whole. While Carl, Carl is the most important thing to him, uh, he is still willing to face almost any danger to help anyone in the group. In the same way, I think most people would face a great risk to protect him, Carl, or, and Judith. The governor, on the other hand, personifies our animal nature. For the purposes of his crazy brain, the, the governor saw Megan and Lily as his family, and all of his actions were to safeguard his own family. Nobody else uh, was important to him, and they were merely pawns to help him achieve his goal of protecting his family. When Rick offered to let him into a society, he could not wrap his mind around it and rejected the offer, killing Herschel. 
So this is the last one here. I, I thought I'd give Paul here the last word um, because uh, it's a it's a really good outline and deep take on the conflicting nature, I think, of Rick and the governor. Right. And I also like how Paul has effectively defined that old proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, yeah. It's weird because I'd only heard that for the first time six, eight months ago. I don't know how I'd missed it, where what happened is I was outside with my wife and uh, one of the neighbor's kids came wandering down the street and it seemed sort of out of place that he was on his own. Yep. And uh, so we you know, took care of him, took him back home and made sure everything was okay. And uh, his mom said to us, you know, thank you, it takes a village. And I was like, huh. So I walked away later and I was like, what did she mean, it takes a village? I asked my wife and she said, you have never heard that before? It takes a village. It takes a lot of people to raise a kid or to, you know, live together in a society. Yep. And since then, it's weird. I've heard it all over the place. And it's the first thing I thought of after reading Paul's email here. And it's a very, very interesting point because Rick has definitely bought into that or it's just part of his nature as a human being, whereas the governor really doesn't seem to have those same sorts of inclinations to help other people. Yeah, and I, I think it's unfortunate that you've never heard that because it's been going around for a great number of years. <clears throat> and yeah, you can definitely just shorten it to it takes a village. The The rest is implied. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's the I think it's called the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. Now, what that is, is they did, uh, somebody did a study, I just heard this from a friend, somebody did a study where they've taken colored beads and they asked different people in different societies to sort them by color. And people would sort them by uh, the colors that they had names for. So if, they, if the culture didn't have distinct names for like indigo or violet or, uh, you know, midnight blue, all these kind of things, they would just lump everything into the blue category. So... It basically means uh, to understand something, uh, you have to have a, a, a word for it or a description for it. So what, what's happening is you're all of a sudden, you can see this concept and therefore you start seeing it everywhere else. You see it all over the place. Yeah, I do. And it's not only that I'm seeing it, though. Like, three other people have said it to me since then. Well, no, I'm saying that people probably said it to you before that, but it didn't oh. mean anything to you. It just kind of went went right through your brain without actually sticking. But this time, a child was involved, which is something that you care about. Mm -hmm. And therefore, when somebody said something to you about that, you paid attention for the first time. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing it everywhere. Well, I feel like a better person because of it now. I understand the world around me just a little bit more. And thanks to Paul's email, I understand The Walking Dead a little bit more, too. Yeah, that's excellent. All right. Thank you so much for everyone for to everyone for writing in with your predictions and your feedback. Um, who knows where Season 4B is going to go. I feel like I have a pretty good idea of, of the first episode and a general feeling about the whole second half. Um, but really, they could do anything, and I, I, I look forward to seeing anything. Right. I think Herschel's going to die in the cold open. Oh, probably right, yeah. yeah. Good, good call. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get caught up on The Walking Dead news. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need, and I don't care about the presents the Christmas tree I just want you for my own more than you could ever know 
For you, the listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out the service. Now, Jason, I'm going to let you off the hook this week. Uh, You don't have to do a recommendation, and that's because Ian in the UK sent in a recommendation by email, and Ian says, I'd like to make an audible.com suggestion for your next podcast. How about the autobiography of Morrissey, the ex-Smith singer and solo artist? Read by none other than the governor himself, yes, David Morrissey. No relation, as far as I know. (laughs) I don't think you could have two personalities further apart than a celibate, peaceful vegetarian and a shag-anything, psychopathic maniac. (laughs) Now, I don't know which one of those people he's talking about Which is which there? (laughs) Which is which. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to say that uh, Morrissey from the Smiths is probably the celibate, peaceful vegetarian. And the governor is a shag-anything psychopathic maniac. Right. I don't know if David Morrissey fits into uh, fits into this somehow, but that's what I'm going with. Right, yeah, I know nothing <laughs> about uh, any of those people except for the governor. Well, it's a great suggestion, though, if you're into the Smiths or, or music or want to hear David Morrissey read a book, which I think might be really good. Does he do it in a British accent? Of course. Oh, that'd be great. Well, why would he put on a different accent i have no idea because he's, he can he's an <laughs> that's, actor that's true i suppose he could if you'd like to download the uh, autobiography of morrissey read by the governor david morrissey please go to audibletrial.com slash talking dead that's audibletrial.com slash talking dead for a free audiobook make my wish come true This is Theodos Crane, and you're listening to The First Talking Dead. Okay, everyone, thanks for sticking with us. We are back, and it is time to get caught up on The Walking Dead news. Jason, we haven't done any news since before Season 4 started. Sweet. Mostly because there's no time. We're too busy recapping episodes and reading feedback and all that good stuff. Yep. So let's get right into the big, big story of the week. All right. And that is that Frank Darabont is suing The Walking Dead for profits. So the Hollywood Reporter came out, broke this story, as far as I know. And uh, from, the, from the Hollywood Reporter article, I, I can read, Ousted, the Walking Dead creator, Frank Darabont, has slapped AMC with a bombshell lawsuit alleging that the cable channel breached his contract and deprived him of tens of millions of dollars in profits from the hit series by making a sweetheart deal licensing the show to itself. Now, Darabont's lead lawyer... Dale Kinsella had this to say, AMC's contact 
toward Frank to date has been nothing short of atrocious. Unfortunately, the fans of The Walking Dead have suffered as well by being deprived of his creative talent. So let's talk about that in a second. Okay. <laughs> um, the, the lawsuit also, uh, it, it connects the firing of Frank Darabont um, from the show to AMC's desire to save money. Apparently, Darabont was owed increased profits at the end of season two, and he was fired at the beginning of season two. So the lawsuit is saying, you fired me at that time so you wouldn't have to make good on the profits owed to me at the end. Um, there are unspecified damages. However, he claims tens of millions to, of dollars. We don't know the exact number. Right. And apparently, he is also claiming a cut of AMC's Talking Dead after show. Why? S well, it's he figures it's all owed to him. Now, first of all, do you want to talk about the fan thing first or, uh, or, or something else? Well, the first thing I want to say is uh, about the contract, him suing because uh, he was owed more, uh, a bigger cut of a bigger slice of the pie at the end of season two. Uh, my answer to that is, so what? You signed the contract. The contract said that if they fired you before the end of season two, you wouldn't get that increased profits. They fired you. You should have signed a different contract. Well, that's, I mean, we can assume that. I mean, you'd think AMC would cover their ass saying that if we terminate this relationship, we don't owe you anything. Um, but you never know. Uh, in, in, in the sports world or in the hockey world, teams pay players long after they are no longer playing for them in some cases because of contracts. Um, for example, if two, if, if two teams trade players, occasionally the former team of that player will still be on the hook for some of that player's salary you know, because they're trading them in the middle of a contract period. Right. And sometimes that's why trades are made, because the receiving team doesn't necessarily have as much of a financial burden by bringing that player in who may be very expensive. So Frank Darabont could very well be owed money based, even though he was fired from the show. Um, it may come down to the reasons for his firing or like you said the actual wording in the contract but i don't think strictly being fired means he is owed necessarily owed nothing right well that, that's what i'm saying is that it depends on the uh the clauses or the you know what's in the contract is uh even if they purposefully you know fired him so that they wouldn't have to pay him the increased profits like even if that was their intent right that's okay because that's what the contract said that if they did that this is what it would happen Sure, if it says that, then... So if he he's doesn't... suing them because they intended to save money by firing him, so what? Right. Yeah, so that's the first thing I wanted to say. Now, uh, what was the next thing? Well, the um, let's talk about this, this claim that AMC has made a sweetheart licensing deal. What they mean by that is that AMC, in the case of The Walking Dead, is the broadcaster and the uh, distributor of the show. Right. Sorry, and the um, like the studio for the, the show, right? Yeah. The production, and in most cases, even with Mad Men, Breaking Bad, production is one company and broadcast is AMC, and so they have to have a licensing deal with each other, and it has to be beneficial to each other, and you know everyone involved has to get paid. Right. In this case, and I think this is an increasingly popular thing to do, where the production and the broadcasting of shows shows are owned by the same company in effect licensing it to itself right and so what they do apparently 
they call it vertical integration, where one company owns everything, and then they can sort of cook the books in any way they want because they're licensing to themselves, they're paying themselves. Right. So Frank Darabont's money is, a you know, he's owed money based on licensing fees, but because AMC controls that licensing structure, they, they always structure the deal with themselves in a way so that there is never any profit reported on the books. And, you know, some people's paychecks are based on profit. Right. So they're screwing people out of money by by cooking their own books a little bit. And that, I mean, that's just kind of the kind of thing that to me feels like it should be illegal. Well, you know? it's not. Uh, and, and I really have no idea how this kind of stuff works. But if uh, a company can, uh, you know, make money or uh, you know, by moving money around or save money by moving money around, they're going to do it, right? Oh, for sure. Uh, so uh, this, and I, I assume Frank Darabont knew about this. Uh, so what? What is his claim there that uh, that there uh, there's some kind of? I, I'm not sure exactly what his claim is in this case. Well, yes, it may not be illegal, but it's it's shifty or shady and underhanded and. Yeah, you got to figure Frank did know about this. You know, he was the executive producer, showrunner, the creator, basically, of the TV show. Right. You'd think he would have all the information. So does he have a leg to stand on? He's trying, He's. it sounds like he's basing this lawsuit on a, a well-known practice within the industry, whether you agree with it or not. I think it's a well-known business practice worldwide in all kinds of industries. I, I think moving money around in, you know, different, distinct uh you know, com- organizational groups or organizational units is uh, a way to save money. And even the fact that they're licensing it from one group to another means that, that they're trying to save money. They're trying to, you know, report uh, a loss in one company or, you know, an expense in one company and profit in another. It mm-hmm. really, you know, it balances out to zero, but these two companies can uh, can use these this financial, you know, juggling to report profits or report you know, expenses, that kind of stuff. It's all very businessy, hodgepodgey kind of uh, stuff that I really don't understand. But I know that if a company can do this, they will do this. Right. So it sounds like we're kind of coming down on AMC's side here. In this case, I think so too. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I think Frank Darabont, it sounds to me like Frank Darabont so far is going, uh, geez, you're making a lot of money. Uh I want a piece of that pie, and he's got a team of lawyers trying to dig into it, trying to find the uh, the cracks that they could use to get some go-away money from AMC. Sure, but don't you think that Frank is probably owed something? He didn't not—he worked on this show. He got it on TV. He was instrumental in the beginning of, you know, in the launching of the Walking Dead TV show. It, it may be his own damn fault that he signed a contract that was not beneficial to him, he didn't um, get duped. He's a he's a, a you know a long time industry professional. He knows what he's doing. I'm sure he's signed many deals like this before. I'm sure that he's signed many deals like this before that screwed other people out of their fair share. <laughs> I don't have any sympathy for him. He's a professional. He knows what he's doing. This is his job. If he didn't get the uh, the absolute best deal that he could have gotten, he shouldn't have signed those contracts. He's Frank Darabont for crying out loud. Yeah, he does have some clout, after all. Well, okay, so what do you think about this quote about uh, his lawyer saying the Walking Dead fans have suffered as well by being deprived of his creative talent? That I agree with. I think the show would have been better with Frank Darabont uh, still uh, still on, you know, as part of the show. 
okay, that is not that angle on things. I, I, I am with you. It's not the response I expected, though, because don't you just feel like this is a freaking guy manipulating the situation to try and involve the fan base to get us on their side? Yes. It's I, I, so yeah, it, it's, Yes, I agree with you on that uh, that aspect of it. It it made me cringe when I read it the first time, and I just thought, oh, my God, I can't believe he's doing this. Now that you say maybe it's true, sure, maybe it is true, but have we suffered? I, I, not in any tangible way. No. I mean, we don't know what the show would have been like if Frank was still involved. And, uh, you know, we've got what we've got. It's been good. It's been bad. It's been up and it's down. But... You know, I don't think our suffering has any bearing on this lawsuit. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's definitely inflammatory, and it's designed to be inflammatory. And the statement, you know, may very well be true, and I may agree with it. But uh, the fact that he's saying it, it just it it cheapens cheapens him in my mind that he's doing this. It's like yeah. you're you're Frank Darabont, man. Uh, you know, if you if you didn't make as many millions and millions of dollars off this as you could have, so what? Like, you made go, your go, bed. Go make another movie and make $10 million off of that. Yeah. Well, he's got another show going on right now, right? So uh, yeah. I guess Frank made his own bed, and he doesn't want to sleep in it. Yeah, I have I have no sympathy for him. Uh, he's, he's, he's a professional. He knows what he's doing. He has a team of lawyers looking over contracts. Uh, if he wanted a better deal, he should have gotten a better deal. If he could have gotten a better deal, he probably would have gotten a better deal. Yeah. Screw you, Frank. Well, not really. Screw you. I like him, and I like his work, and I, <laughs> I really do honestly believe that the uh, that uh, I, I miss him on the show. I think the show would have been really good with him uh, back in the mix, but uh, he's not in the mix anymore. And you know, if he, it, it just seems like some kid going, uh, they kick me off the team. I'm gonna go take my ball and go home. Right. Well, I mean, my favorite episode of The Walking Dead was still one that was written and directed by Frank Darabont. So yep. it uh, you may be right that the show would be better with him. But you know what? We have no way of knowing, and I don't think it has any bearing on the lawsuit. So it just made me angry that they, they threw that out there. Yeah. All right, next item in the news. This is actually an email from Andy in the UK, but he writes, Hi, I just want to let you know that when The Walking Dead returns to our screens in February, it will now be shown on the Monday night in the UK, not Fridays. So they've moved it up by five days, Jason. Huh. Right now, or or up until now, The Walking Dead was airing on Friday nights in the UK, a full six, uh, five days or six days after it aired in the US. Right. So that meant that folks over there who were watching it on TV weren't able to really participate as well in our podcast because they haven't seen it. They wouldn't be able to comment. They wouldn't be able to send in their thoughts, or even listen to our recaps. But now, they can do that, and they can even get their feedback in before our Wednesday night feedback shows. So I think this is great news all around. That is great news. And we've kind of gotten in trouble with the uh, the show titles, our show titles, being a little bit spoilery. Right? I've, um, I think I've seen little. users complain about that. Maybe a little. I usually try to keep our show titles wacky and random. Um, uh, there was one ca- recently about, uh, about Judith being possibly dead was there yeah one of the show titles was uh was about oh. that and okay. I, I think somebody complained that uh yeah the show t- our show title itself spoiled it for them oh well i apologize if that's the case but anyways that might not be a problem anymore and i'm happy about that yeah me too 
All right, so if you're in the UK, make sure you tune in on Monday nights. Don't wait until Friday because you will be disappointed. Uh, next item, The Walking Dead receives a Screen Actors Guild Award nomination. Cool. We used to talk about awards a whole bunch way back in the early days. Uh, we haven't so much anymore because, frankly, The Walking Dead does not get a lot of award nominations, despite being loved and the highest-watched show on TV. I guess that doesn't translate into awards. And, frankly, everyone involved would probably rather have the ratings anyways. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but they were nominated in the Outstanding Stunt Ensemble for Comedy or Drama Series. Stunt Ensemble. <laughs> right. So not the actors. I mean, not the, the principal on-screen actors. Yeah. Not the writing. Not the directing. Not the special effects. Outstanding Stunt Ensemble. Nice. Which I think is a great category, but it is. It, it's kind of a funny one. But it is nice to recognize those people because they're very important. We wouldn't want our main actors doing stunts and getting hurt, for example. No. Uh, but the show is up against uh, Boardwalk Empire, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, and Homeland in this category. I don't recall any stunts in any of those shows. Well, I'm sure there are tons of stunts in Game of Thrones. And there's stunts in all of them. Come on. Okay. Boy. Game of Thrones, I can. Uh, Breaking Bad, I could see. What were the other ones? Homeland. There's all kinds of... Ah, of... All they do is talk. They run around I a little bit. I haven't seen the most recent season, so... I've only seen the beginning of it. And Boardwalk Empire I haven't watched, but you have. I have. I don't recall any stunts there either, uh, <laughs> other than, you know, there's uh, an odd uh, fake firearm going off and people ducking. Those are stunts, man. I guess this, so. Every time someone falls down, stunt. Crashes a car, stunt. Well, yeah. Anyways. I think The Walking Dead is going to win because they probably have the most and best stunts. I think Game of Thrones will probably win because they probably have the most and best stunts. <laughs> <That's>, I'm <laughs> All just <right> saying. <laughs> All right. There's a lot of swordplay in uh, Game of Thrones. Yep. Congratulations, though, to all of those shows, especially The Walking Dead, for being nominated. All right. A couple more items in the news. One is about the new characters that have been cast for the rest of season four. Uh, if you don't want to hear about them, then I would skip ahead. But um, they are characters from the comic book. And I don't think we've really talked about them at all. So Dr. Eugene Porter is being played by Josh McDermott. Now, I don't know who Josh is. Um, do you know him at all, Jason? No, I don't Josh know McDermott? I'm going to look him up, though. Great. He is listed on IMDb for episodes 10, 12, 15, and 16. So we could get introduced to these characters pretty soon. Episode 10 is only the second one after we come back. Um, I don't know him at all. I don't think he's been in too many things so unless you recognize him i don't know what to expect from josh uh the other character is abraham ford his traveling partner and he's being played by michael kudlitz or kudlitz another guy that i honestly don't know that well either but uh, he had a small role in in lost apparently oh i know this guy and 24 and band of brothers yeah he was uh i, I like him he was also in uh what was the name of that show I think it was Third Watch. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you watched that show, but Third no. Watch was really good. No, I haven't seen either of these actors really before. I mean, I did watch Lost, but I don't re recognize uh, Michael Cudlitz from Lost at all. So these people are new to me, which which I like. I'm I'm not... I, I, I always get a little bit distracted when somebody comes on to the show that's a familiar face from something else. I mean, I get used to it, right, after a while, but... Sometimes when they, like in season two, 
when Rick killed those two guys in the bar, one of them was what's his name from True Blood, and I, and the whole time watching him, I was like, that's the guy from True Blood, you know? <laughs> right. But but then he shot him, and everything was okay right away. So I'm kind of glad, from my perspective, that these two actors are unknowns to me. Oh, I've seen okay, Band of Brothers and Twenty Four is what I recognize him from. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. I yeah. knew you watched both of those things. So yeah, he wasn't in Third Watch. I'm thinking. Uh, of, I was thinking of Twenty Four. I think. All right. Well, and the third person traveling with these two people is Christian Serratos, who plays Rosita Espinoza. We already knew about her. We'd already talked about her. She was announced uh, earlier on, even before season four started. So um, these are all three characters from the comic who play a very important role in the comic book. So I think it's interesting that they are introducing them now in the show, and I think they could be with us for a long time in the show. Yep. And, And really provide direction for where season four and probably five uh, is heading. And um, we'll have to wait and see. Oh, Southland. That's where I know Michael Cudlitz from. from. Okay. I think Southland is the show that most people reference when they talk about this guy. Right. Again, another one I have not seen. Oh, Lucy Liu. She's not on The Walking Dead. No, she's in uh, uh, Southland. Makes me want to go back and rewatch Southland. Because she's in that show Elementary, which I really like. Wait until we're done here, and then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. All righty. One more item in the news, Jason, and I'm including this one because it's absolutely freaking ridiculous. Okay. Freaking ridiculous. I'm ready. Hit me. All right. IMDb has a description posted, or at least they did when I looked this up, for season five, episode one. Okay. (laughs) And I know this is ridiculous because season five, episode one has not started production. It's nowhere near production. Yep. Maybe they've thought about writing it, but they probably haven't written it yet. And this is purely speculation, and it is extremely spoilery for the comic. But I thought I would read it just for fun. Sure. So I'll give people a second to move ahead. But here is what IMDb has to say about Season 5, Episode 1. Rick and the group is heading to Washington, D.C., where they meet new danger and a new enemy. Once again, Rick must do whatever it takes to keep the rest of the group safe. Oh, wow. So, you know, it sounds like something that AMC would write, or sort of does anyways. The last sentence does, you know, for sure. The first part, though, I think that's just somebody thinking, huh, this is probably what's going to happen. I'm going to put this up there. <laughs> Could be. Now, is IMDb, I'm not sure of how uh, IMDb gets this information. Is it more like a wiki that uh, anybody can edit whatever they want and it's self-policed or... Uh, I don't think you can manage your own profile, I think, like as an actor or someone who's listed on there. I believe you have a certain degree of control over your own profile. Right. I don't know how something like this would get up there for a TV show because who's managing the TV show profile? I'm not sure. Yeah. So it's strange that it's up there at all. It it may be taken down by now, but I happened to be looking, you know, the other day and there it was. No, I'm looking at it right now. It's live. Huh. Interesting. They don't have descriptions for any of the second half of season four, yet they've got season five, episode one. Right. Probably nobody's paying attention to that yet at at AMC, so they haven't really noticed it. The intern that's in charge of that kind of thing uh, has the couple weeks off before Christmas. Yeah, probably. uh, Yeah, because university and college is out. Their uh, semester's over. They've gone home, and nobody's paying attention to this stuff. That's probably true. And speaking of not paying attention and going home, Jason, that is going to wrap up our podcast for this week. Okay, good. 
and uh, you can go back to bed and continue recovering. How did you drink. know I had a nap before uh, before the show? I just assumed. You work at home in front of your TV. You're probably asleep half the time. Jason's oh, I boss. didn't. I didn't have time to watch TV today. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid that's the truth. All right. Uh, but as soon as work was over, I did go have myself a half hour nap. That's good. It probably did you well and uh, made you a better man for it. I sure hope so. So our next podcast is going to be very likely on January the 6th. That's when we're scheduled to anyways. And I am working on an interview with someone very special for that podcast. Very so special. more information will be coming soon. And it's not me. You're not going to interview me. Uh, I might, but there will be someone else as well. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. So we'll get that out there. Uh, it'll be coming hopefully Monday, January the 6th. In the meantime, though, if you want to give us a call, you can do so, one 483 9662 You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead or send your email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. It's almost Christmas, so I'd like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Great New Year, um, or a good time doing whatever you do at this time of the year. Um, and uh, I guess we'll see you after the break. If you still have some Christmas shopping to do, please go to amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com to do all your online Christmas shopping. It helps us out a great deal and doesn't cost you an extra penny. Since you're buying stuff you're going to buy anyways, it's uh, supportive of us. It's a really great way to support the show a little bit. And of course, find our shirts and our iPhone cases at talkingdeadpodcast.com slash shirts. There you can uh, pick up gifts for your friends and family and, and uh, anyone else you decide to give a shirt to. Or yourself. <laughs> buy a <laughs> buy shirt, a shirt for, for Yeah, buy a shirt for yourself. And, and just walk around in it. You'll feel, you'll feel good. Every so, day of the holidays. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyways, um, that's it. That's going to do it for 2013. A big thank you to everyone who listens, who's you know been with us for a long time or a short time. It's great to have you on board. It's great to have everyone go to Facebook and, and discuss things there. And uh, it's, it's really, really fun to do this. So we plan on doing it for a long time, and we'd love to have you aboard. I agree. Jason? Happy Christmas to you, too. Happy Christmas to you, Christopher. <laughs> Thank you. Probably talk to you before Christmas, though. Maybe. Yeah, we're still a week out. So um, uh, that's going to do it. I think I've said everything I need to. All right. So uh, until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening, everybody. Ciao.